Hello, middle family. Hi. I'm coming to you from the um, Yuletide Lounge <laughs> um, in downtown Indianapolis with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, where I'm doing a Yuletide celebration. Our online peeps hold this, heard this uh, last week, but hi. It's so good to see you all. Um, I just wanted to come and um, welcome you into Advent. Uh, this week is joy. Um, so let's just get right into worship by taking a deep, centering breath together. Come, let us worship God. This Advent, we've lit the candle of hope. We've lit the candle of peace. Today, we light the candle of joy. Rumi said, when you do something from your soul, it's a river, a joy. May our soul journey to the love child in the manger be filled with joy. Amen. didn't wake up in their right mind or in their own bed but you are here today middle so middle how are you doing this morning yes we're gonna do a little bit of O come O come Emmanuel if you have your bulletin we're gonna need your voices for this my friend you hear the drum kind of moving us do you feel it kind of moving us we're moving with the drum can you can you kind of go back and forth for me? Even if you're sitting, you can go back and forth. Do you feel the music moving you? Oh, I love the way you look when you move back and forth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Some of y'all look a little Record. Botoxed up this morning. Nothing's happening. See if you can get some, oh, yes, uh-huh. Are you ready, middle?
I don't believe you. I don't, we got this whole arrangement for you with the drums going. First number two choir, here we go. Jackie's on her way. She led the new members class this morning online, and we're still figuring out where people can be when, but we are so glad that you are here. I am Pastor Amanda, and I'm so glad to be worshiping with you both in person and everyone online. Good morning. On this third Sunday of Advent, oh, I got a test this week, so I can take this off. I forgot. And so we're going to start right now with just a few announcements so you all can know some of the things that are happening in the life of our community. The first, I hope you will join us this Tuesday at 7 p.m. as our Advent Bible study continues. We will be with Reverend Ben this week, and we are reading um, Jackie's new book, Fierce Love, together. And we are looking at that through the study of Advent. What does this season have to tell us holding Jackie's book in one hand? Um, we are also in the middle of a high of a coat and jacket drive. If you have gently used or new coats and jackets laying around at home, or you would like to bring one, a new one, please do so. We're collecting them this week and next week, and we're partnering with Trinity Lower East Side down on 9th and B for a drive. And next Saturday, there's a little thing happening that some of you may know about. We are going to be caroling, meeting at 1 o'clock at Cooper Park. Did I say that correctly? Cooper Square Park. Okay, at 1 o'clock. All are welcome to come and carol and sing with the choir. Afterwards, we will be distributing gloves and hats and socks to people who could use something warm around the East Village and the Lower East Side. There are many more ways that you can be involved in the life of this church. Head to middlechurch.org to see, all, or is it .com? Who, can, who knows off the top of their head? Head to Middle Church and, and see all the ways that you can get involved in the life of this community. It's org. Ah! All right. Let's take a deep breath together now. <laughs> and let's go to God in prayer. 
holy and loving God, we feel the bustle of the holiday season. We feel the confusion that global warming and climate change puts upon us. When we rush out of the house some days, we're not quite sure what to put on, and yet we are grateful even so for clothing and for shelter. We're mindful today of the many all across the Southeast who have suffered massive destruction from flooding, from tornadoes. We ask that creative ways become real for them to look after one another, place upon our hearts how it is that we can respond. Holy God, the season of Advent brings upon us a sense of heaviness. Many of us are missing loved ones. When we pull out the cards and we want to write their name but can't, we feel a sense of hurting inside us, a sense of longing. And when we feel that, when we feel that sense of hurting, we're so grateful, God, that we only need to take a deep breath. And then your spirit flows into us and comforts us and reminds us that we belong to you and that there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from who you are our authentic child of godness can bring us confidence and hope. And we pray, Holy One, in this season, which can feel so performative, so stressful, so insisting on its own way that we will find our way to the manger where love lives, to each other where love lives, and to you, God, the source of all love. We pray this prayer asking you to keep praying in us, in the words that we can't even speak, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We pray it in the way we learned it, in the way we know it, and we pray it now together. Ever-loving Ever and holy God, God hallowed be your name. Your, your reign come, your will, will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the reign, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Close your eyes and it was Amanda.
And you opened your eyes and presto changeo. It's Jackie. <laughs> hey, y'all. It's so good to see you today. I'm going to invite you to uh, stand and greet your neighbor in a sign of peace, but not before I greet you um, from the formerly, some of y'all are in the Zoom room still, and I was just there doing new members gathering. It was so beautiful to be with you new members. Thank you so much for being with us. And for everyone in this room, everyone in this room, I'm so delighted that you brought your body today to this place. So peace be with you. Greet your neighbor, greet your neighbor in the nicest possible way. Pay attention to their body. A sign of peace might be namaste. Um, you might give an elbow bump, but try not to do you know, deep body hugs, okay? All right, peace. <laughs>
told them where you were. Thank you, choir. Thank you, band. So this is my first time preaching hybrid since before COVID. Hi, online people and hi, people in person. Is this good? Are we okay? All right. 
Our scripture for today, no, not quite. It's like a whole new, you know. Thank you, Jackie. Our scripture for today is found in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Hear now a word from the Lord. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. God has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. God will rejoice over you with gladness, will renew you in God's love, will exalt over you with loud singing. As on a day of festival, I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home, at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the written word of God for the people of God. Let's say a quick prayer together. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was going to make it a little taller. Yeah, do you know how? Jackie doesn't have to preach with the manuscript. I do. The if. <laughs> okay, I think we're higher. No? <laughs> we're higher. We're also off. Okay. okay I think that's Maybe good. we're okay. Is that better? Is yeah. That okay. I think we're okay. Hi, everybody. All right, we're starting. On Friday, you may have seen that the Supreme Court upheld SB 8, the Texas ban on abortions. Not officially overturning Roe versus Wade, the court case legalizing abortion, but certainly sinking its future. On December 1st, Middle, you sent me to the steps of the Supreme Court to bear witness as arguments were heard to overturn Roe. For much of the day, I stood side by side with anti-choicers, people who also traveled to the steps of SCOTUS, but who came professing faith in a very different God than I. There's a picture of me standing with my Jesus collar right beside another white woman holding a large picture of Jesus, but her with anti-choice messaging. Two people side by side, both claiming Jesus, both somehow coming to completely different understandings of how our faith informs reproductive rights. The day before, on November 30th, a 15-year-old child who had access to a semi-automatic handgun opened fire at a school in Michigan where our own Darren Johnson went to school, killing four students, wounding many others. 
between 2009 and 2018, we have had 57 times more school shootings than other major industrialized nations combined. And this year, there were more deaths on school grounds than any other back-to-school time on record. Over the past week, you've likely seen elected officials and their families posting with, you know where I'm going, large rifles surrounding Christmas trees, some even asking for ammunition from Santa. Two families, only a return label apart. One holding guns, smiling. The other holding the grief of a child lost to gun violence, both claiming Jesus both somehow coming to completely different understandings of how our faith informs the Second Amendment. So we jumped right in today, didn't we? Preaching from the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, as Karl Barth says. And as such, we would do well to stop and ask a few questions here. First of all, how is it? that people come to completely different understandings of how our faith informs our politics? Why is it that white evangelicals are overwhelmingly statistically anti-choice and simultaneously pro-gun? Secondly, what, if anything, do our holy texts have to say about this? And finally, as Dr. King would ask, where do we go from here? Now I am going to attempt to answer all three of these bullet points today, and this will be my first and likely last bulleted sermon for Middle Church. But to give some insight into the first question, we need to go all the way back, don't we? All the way back to 1619, but we don't have that much time today, so we're gonna start in the 1970s. But before we do, you may have noticed that I'm using the phrase anti-abortion and anti-choice rather than pro-life. I've been taught by many others and I've stopped saying pro-life because that phrase is such a farce. And I encourage you to do the same. We need to understand that there have been decades of coordinated attempts to define what is understood as moral and Christian in this country. The new Christian right or the moral majority formed by capitalizing on conservative backlash against liberal gains of the 1960s, focusing on absolute obedience to God's laws as the solution to moral decay. The National Rifle Association mirrored this by casting the Second Amendment as a God-given right. Gun ownership offered a sense of moral purpose to white males who have lost or have fear of losing their economic footing. You do know that white men today are the most likely to be gun owners and that white evangelicals are more likely than members of any other faith or of the average citizen to own a gun. I'd say they've been successful. As for the anti-choice movement, there was something else threatening, as Bell Hooks calls it, the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. You all, we have to understand that evangelicals seized on abortion not for moral reasons, but as a racially coded attack to keep schools segregated. 
Bob Jones University's loss of IRS status on the grounds of racially discriminatory practices made the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy lose their you-know-what. Oh, hell no, the white men said. We can't lose our control. We can't lose our power. We can't lose this illusion of greatness that whiteness purports. So what can we do? What can we organize with? How can we build a movement? Unborn babies were the tool they manipulatively chose as the means to their end. Unborn babies are a lot more palatable than being openly racist. Now, notably, prior to 1979, evangelicals were indifferent to the reproductive justice conversation. In fact, many were pro-abortion. A 1968 evangelical symposium refused to characterize abortion as sinful. And in 1971, Southern Baptists passed a bill to work for legislation that would allow abortions to continue under certain, certain, certain conditions. That is some brilliant marketing by straight white Christian men seeking power. Gun rights and protecting unborn babies became synonymous with morally good, ensuring continued control of the patriarchy's puppets, as our own Achebe says. And this harmful marriage continues today with me and my pro-abortion callers standing right beside large anti-choice white Jesus, and with representatives Thomas Massey and Lauren Borbart glorifying rifles to celebrate the birth of our peacemaker Jesus. So let's go to number two. How might our holy texts inform the issues of today? One of the most powerful things that I've come to understand is that Jesus and God are inherently intersectional. The Bible doesn't use the term intersectionality, the term given to us by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, but the concept of overlapping injustices was present in ancient societies as are examples of how Jesus and God responded. In their book, Introduction to Intersectional Theology, Grace G. Soon Kim and Susan M. Shaw argue that we must embrace intersectionality as a theological method to create new ways of understanding that will not only liberate the subordinate, but who will also liberate the dominant, the colonizer, the privileged, as we all join together to seek to build an equitable and just world that values and affirms people across differences of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual identity, national origin, ability, age, religion, or socioeconomic class. People who claim to love God, they continue, must embrace the gospel's insistence on liberation and justice. Intersectionality adds that God's biases towards justice encompasses all the differences and oppressions simultaneously. I'm going to say that again. Intersectionality adds that God's biases towards justice encompasses all the differences and oppressions simultaneously. That's a lot of words, but let me give you one of the best examples of the intersectional Jesus. And that's in the story with the woman at the well in the Gospel of John. Samaritan women were of mixed ethnicity. 
Jews considered them foreigners and didn't engage with them. Plus, she's a woman. Plus, she had five husbands. But Jesus sees all of that and because of all of that, reaches out across ethnicity, across gender, across class and religion and engages her in highly intellectual religious conversation. We see God's intersectionality in the story of Hagar, in the woman with the alabaster jar, teaching the disciples to fish. We could go on and on. But the point is this, if we follow an intersectional Jesus, our faith must inform our politics and social views intersectionally as well. When I was at SCOTUS, several young white boys kept thrusting microphones in my face and they only wanted to know one thing, when does life begin? To which, after several looks, I replied, you're asking the wrong question. God approaches this conversation just like she does everything else, considering everything, all the intersections, what's happening before and right now and after and all around. Who's at the center of this conversation that shouldn't be? Where does this conversation fall within my ultimate insistence on liberation and justice? And friends, when we do that, we can't not hear that the U.S. is the only industrialized nation in the world where maternal mortality is rising. And that the U.S. ranks 33rd out of 36 in infant mortality. We can't not see that infant and maternal mortality among blacks and Latinx people are more than twice the national average. And that economically poor people will suffer the most when Roe is overturned. We can't not see that long before SB8 was up for discussion, black infants in Texas were twice as likely as white infants to die before their first birthday. And that the national black maternal mortality rate is 44 deaths per 100,000 compared to only 17 to white deaths. We can't not see that SB8 will compound the long-term damage of racism in the Texas healthcare system, and I'm only talking about Texas. This is how systemic racism works. We can't be anti-choice and profess to be Christian. If we do, we are admitting that to being Christian is to continue the legacy of white supremacy and systemic racism. We can't glorify guns and support the NRA and profess to be Christians. If we do, we are admitting that to be Christian is to be puppets to the patriarchy. Intersectional theology is a destabilizing theology. And when applied, it's gonna shake a lot of things up. And for starters, we need to develop critical self-understandings of our own intersectional identities. What privileges, advantages, social locations do I bring to this conversation? And we need to ask who's missing here that needs to be here? And finally, where do we go from here? Here's what I love about the passage today. Did you notice what happened between verses 17 and 19? Probably not, because we've done a lot of things since then. But did you catch how the point of view changed? from third to first person. In verse 17, 
The Lord your God is in your midst. God will rejoice over you with gladness. God will renew you in her love. And then 18, I will remove disaster from you. I will deal with your oppressors. I will save the lame. What is going on here? Did Zephaniah just decide to start quoting God verbatim? Possibly. Did God just arrive in the text? That's interesting. But I propose that the text is actually a reminder that the birth of Jesus isn't a singular moment where change can happen. In fact, it's the opposite. God is all up in the mix now because we are God and God is us. Zephaniah realizes here that he can speak on behalf of God, on behalf of love and justice, and all the intersections where the enfleshed body of God lives. And so can we. We've got a lot of speaking to do, don't we? Because there have been forces, and dare I say evil forces, in coordination, speaking and organizing for decades, professing a God that I do not know. When we understand Jesus as inherently intersectional, our politics will be so informed. An intersectional faith ends the filibuster, liberates abortion, and passes massive gun reform. An intersectional faith flows from the multi-ethnic person of Jesus who is enfleshed at Christmas time. Now this stuff is heavy, you all. And it's scary at times. We need to name that too. Have any of you found yourself paralyzed or deeply depressed this week, any week? This is heavy and scary stuff. Some of you all have heard that I've had the recent honor of my life to develop a friendship with feminist scholar Bell Hooks. I'm planning on taking a trip to go see her again soon, and this week I had a nightmare. I dreamed that a young white boy with a large rifle was literally standing in my way, blocking me from getting on the plane, blocking me from sitting at the feet of one who for decades has looked the, let's say it again, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy in the eye with radical imagination and love and pressed on anyway. I've been sitting with the heaviness of that dream. But you know what? I got through it. I got through him who embodies so much of what is wrong in our country. And I can't remember exactly how. I know, that's what you wanted to hear. That's what I want to be able to know and to hand you in a playbook also, but I can't. But here's what I do remember. I wasn't alone when I did it. You were there, Jackie. And you all were there. And you all online were there. And God was there. And so I'm reminded when abolitionist Miriam Kaba is asked, how are we going to protect ourselves without police? When she's asked any question that seems impossible, she always answers, I don't know. But we're going to figure it out together. Where do we go from here? I don't know exactly, but I know that we go together. And I know that we go with God. 
I know that God has never left us. And sometimes God reminds us of that, right? Like maybe through a rainbow that just happens to appear on the exact spot exactly a year after our church burns down. Like today, El Dia de Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, when a beautiful black Madonna appears to an indigenous boy in Spain. God is in our midst. And we're gonna figure this out. We are going to resist the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy because God insists on it. We will speak on behalf of that God. We will organize to fulfill her dreams. When someone asks us, how are you a Christian? How are you a person of faith and pro-abortion? We are gonna say, how much time do you have? When someone asks you what is wrong with posing with rifles to celebrate Christmas, we're gonna say, how much time do you have? We are gonna see God in our midst because God is here and we're gonna love each other along the way. Amen. That was incredible. <laughs> Thank you so much, Reverend Amanda. Uh, hello, Middle family. My name is Adwa Asari, she, her, hers. Uh, and I'm a middle member from Durham, North Carolina. It is so surreal to be here with you all today in person since most of my membership has been virtual. So special shout out to the virtual community. Hey, everybody. Um, all the folks who dream of visiting Middle in person from Germany and Canada and Antarctica, yes, we've had people join us virtually from Antarctica and all over the world. There is a place for you at Middle, regardless of which borough, state, or continent you are joining us from today. I joined Middle Church in January 2020 while I was living in Harlem. And it was my first day visiting the church. So if any first timers here, hello, welcome, greeting to you all as well. I sat in the pew and I was just so overtaken by the beautiful sanctuary and the diverse Therese Johnson Gospel Choir. People to the left and to the right of me were smiling um, and it just created an environment that, that said home. I remember reading the bulletin, the inclusive, what we believe statement. And I came right down after service to the front, to the altar to meet Reverend Amanda. And usually I'm someone who waits a while to visit and see how people will act before I commit to anything, but middle felt different. I now understand that that difference was love, period. Everything else, just commentary. Reverend Amanda explained then how easy it was to join the church and then I could become a member that day. So if anyone here is still dating middle or online, if you're dating middle, I encourage you to join the membership today. Just lean in. It's so easy. You can visit middlechurch.org join, or you can talk to the staff if you're here in person. Um, belonging to myself, I mean, belonging to something bigger than myself was so important. And I had no idea in January 2020 what was ahead for our world, for our country, or for our church building. 
So I encourage you, whatever the thing is that you're holding on to today, delaying, thinking I'll do it the next time, the next time, let today be the day that you do it. I love that Middle has so many ways for us to remain in community through writing groups, book clubs, acting, singing, ukulele, voting reform, Ablamos, Middle Out Loud, young adults, and more. And even though we are hurting, healing, and advocating, we can also have fun with one another. I personally choose to pay it forward through a monthly reoccurring gift, and when I'm able to contribute more than that, I do. My mom always reminds me of the parable of the widow's mite in the Gospels, and the reminder that there's no gift that's too small or too large. If it matters to you, then it matters to God. And so in the heart of this holiday season, Middle Family, help power Middle Church to be a hub of fierce love. Let's take the words that Reverend Amanda and Reverend Jackie and all of the Middle Reverends preach to us and put it into action. You can donate today uh, by scanning the QR code that's on your screen or on the back of your bulletin or by visiting middlechurch.org donate. Love, peace, health, goodwill to all of you here in person and virtually. Blessings. Thank you. 
These are the gifts we render to you. We ask that you bless and continue to teach us what it means to give, just like the widow who gave her last to live. May we have faith that what little or much we present helps to build and strengthen your reign on earth. We have a home to build, books to write, lives to touch, songs to sing. May we continue to embody your ministering, love, peace, and justice. May you always surround, empower, and uphold us. In your many names we pray, amen. Um, yes, go ahead, Dion. As the choir gathers, I just want to say we are figuring out how to take offering in a space that is both physical and digital, and I'm not positive that we have solved all the ways to do that. But do not let our, uh, whatever, working it out make you think that we don't need your giving at this time. It is so important that you help us to do what we're called to do. So you can still text to donate. I tried that the other day when I made me and John's um, tithe. You can still write a check. Yes, it'll get to us. You can donate online at middlechurch.org slash donate. And you can put money in the uh, whatever you see back there when you're leaving. Your donations empower Amanda's sermon. Can I say it any plainer than that? That was an amazing sermon. Uh, your donations empower this choir. Can I say it any plainer than that? It empowers the band. It empowers the, the technology that puts us in the world. So let's put one foot in front of the other and make a donation. Okay. Okay, middle. Are you ready to get up?
love you. Amen. Family, as we go, Jackie will be in the narthex signing books if you still haven't gotten a copy of Fierce Love. And I did say that was probably my last bulleted sermon, but not my last sermon, okay? People have been, people have been texting me like, what, what? But you, we, you all, we do have to be sometimes that organized and that specific because there are voices out there imagining that they have a monopoly on God and what is morally right and good. And friends, we must never forget that we serve a God who insists on liberation and who sees all of us for exactly who we are and because of all the ways that we are, moves us forward towards justice. Say it with me, God is here. We are here. I am here. And go from this place today, knowing that you are loved by that God that is here and by that God that shows up in each of us in insurmountable ways. And may that love change you. Whenever I leave Belle, she always says, don't forget to love. Don't forget to love, friends. Amen. Amen.